one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian. The glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him, and twenty-four elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in the front of the throne, there were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face. And the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings. And their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out. Day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Then I began to weep bitterly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered. But it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll... The four living beings and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they held golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song with these words, 
You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered, and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked again, and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and glory and honor and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. They sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped the Lamb. Lord Jesus, you declared blessing for those who listen to these words read and those who take them to heart and act upon them. We thank you for the revelation of yourself that you have given us. We pray now that through the Holy Spirit you would give us eyes to see what can't be seen or understood with our human capabilities. We pray that we will not be deaf to your spirit, but that we will have ears to hear what your spirit will say to us today. For your honor and your glory, for you are worthy, we pray in your name, amen. Amen. I've entitled our study today, Defining True Worth. When we look back at the beginning of this book of Revelation, we read these words in verses 1 and 2. This is the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. You and I need to read and study the book of Revelation. Many find it puzzling, perplexing. Many even find the images such as we just read to be absurd or grotesque. Please note that when you read, the word like. John is writing to a human audience and he is describing things that are beyond words. The only thing that he can do is use human terms and say it is like. What you and I have read 
is not the full resemblance. But even what we have read will have no understanding or worth to us unless the Holy Spirit enlightens it to us. So take a moment and pray that he will enable you to see and understand today. There is much in these two chapters that needs to be studied. We will look at these chapters scene by scene, sharing a few comments, a few words of explanation. You'll be able to access much more when the podcast is loaded to the website. The first thing that we see is an open door in the Spirit. John said, then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven. And the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven. Now, as John tells us here, the same voice that caught his attention and the voice that belonged to the person that caused him to fall at his feet as dead now speaks to him again. The Lord Jesus has dictated the letters to the seven churches. We don't know if there's an intervening time between the finishing of those seven letters and them being sent off to the churches. But at some point, John tells us, I saw a door standing open in heaven. How many of you can see a door standing open in heaven right now as you look? It is something that we can't see with our eyes. But we've heard Jesus speak about doors already. He said to the church at Philadelphia, I will open a door that no one can shut. He called to the church at Laodicea, who had shut him out and felt no significant need of him. I am standing at the door and knocking. Please let me in. I want to have fellowship with you. There is a physical realm, one in which you and I are sitting and living today, as we have this week, and there is a spiritual realm. With our physical eyes, with our physical mind, we can't understand the spiritual realm. There is an intersection, however, between the physical and the spiritual. It is true whether we are talking about light or darkness. When people engage in sin, they are, as the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians, operating under the influence of the prince of the power of the air, the God of this world. 
You can't see the devil. He is a spiritual being. But whenever you or I engage in something that is not Christ-like, that is not the work of the Holy Spirit, it's the influence of darkness. What you and I have seen in Baltimore City throughout this week is a manifestation of his nature. His nature is to destroy. His nature is to kill. When you and I look around us and we see the degrading of morality, it is a manifestation of his nature. Conversely, when you and I engage in worship, we are passing through the physical realm into the spiritual realm. We can't see God, but we are in the presence of God. Let us come boldly before the throne of grace. That's not an imaginary place. It's a very real place. But we can only go there in sincere prayer. John saw a door open in heaven and the voice calling him to come up and he would show what was about to happen, what would take place after this. This begins the first of seven pairs of visions. Seven pairs of visions where the first will be a scene in heaven and the second part will be the realization of what has been said in heaven taking place upon this earth. So the word is spoken and then it takes place here on earth. Let me tell you this. Everything that you and I see on earth has already transpired in the spiritual realm. This world is a temporary world. The spiritual world is an eternal world. What takes place in Baltimore City has already transpired in the spiritual realm. What is taking place in Ukraine with Russia already transpired in the spiritual realm. Daniel describes it for us. There is war that goes back and forth between the host of God and the host of darkness. A contest for control and influence over nations, over people groups. It all transpires in the spiritual realm. And so, as you and I read, through the book of Revelation, we will read of a scene in heaven, and then we will read of that being carried out on earth, fulfilling what has been said in heaven. John said, at once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven. Understand that this is not the aforementioned throne of grace. This is not the throne of grace. This is the fulfillment of words that were spoken in Psalm 9, Psalm 10, 
And then elaborated on in Psalm 11. The Lord has established His throne in heaven. He looks down upon all of mankind. He examines their ways. This is a throne of judgment. As you and I continue to read, we will be reading about the judgment of God upon the earth. When Jesus begins to break the seals on that scroll, we will read of judgment being unleashed on the earth. This is the throne where the psalmist says, the Lord reigns with righteousness and justice as the foundation of His throne. Let me say to you, dear friends, the words of Psalm 32. Seek the Lord while he may be found, so that when the mighty waters rise, you will be kept safe and hidden in him. Seek the Lord while the access to the throne is a throne of grace. Don't wait to seek the Lord when His judgment begins to be poured out. John sees the throne room of eternity. Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven. And the same voice I had heard spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here and I will show you. What must happen after this? And instantly I was in the Spirit. And I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of an emerald encircled his throne like a rainbow. Note the word like. As we have said before, John expresses what he has seen, comparing it to what is here on earth so that people might grasp a bit of understanding of what he is beholding. There in heaven is a throne. There is one sitting on that throne. His likeness is brilliant. And John said the glow of a rainbow encircled his throne. He continued, 24 thrones surrounded him and 24 elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. In front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold Spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings covered with eyes front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, 
and their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out. It's an incredible sight, isn't it? A fantastical sight. John sees this throne, brilliant, like gemstones. He sees the one sitting on the throne, and around it he sees 24 elders wearing white robes and sitting on thrones as well with crowns on their head. Now, we don't have time to delve into this, and we'll only make a few remarks concerning the four living beings. But there is much discussion about who these 24 elders are. Are they angels? Are they elevated saints? Who do they represent and what do they do? I follow the words of the psalmist when he writes that God is more glorious and mighty than any who sit in his council. I don't believe that they are believers that have been elevated to this status. They operate as a priesthood. They operate as rulers. And they are worshipers. They have a front row seat and they have a full understanding of the worth of God. I simply call them when I read this the Council of 24. Why 24? Whenever you and I find the number 12 or any multiple of it in Scripture, it speaks of government and rule. When David divided the priest, as he was making preparations for Solomon to build the temple, he divided them into 24,000, a set of 24. And everything that David did in preparation for the building of the temple, he writes that he wrote down exactly and did exactly what God had shown him and told him to do. So I believe that what David did was a copy of heaven, where Hebrew says that everything that is done here on earth, the tabernacle, is a copy of what is permanent in heaven. Twenty-four elders and four living creatures. Isn't their description intriguing? Each covered with eyes, front and back, six wings covered with eyes, inside and out. How would you respond if you met such a being? Our translations are poor. It's more than a living being. It's more than a living one, as other translations say. That in itself is a poor translation because Jesus is called the living one. Some of our Bibles call them 
living creatures. The King James has a truly poor translation. They call them beast. Sorry, Modester. They call them beasts, but so is the Antichrist called beast. And they are two completely different Greek words in the original language. The word is zoon. The plural is zoa. So I prefer to simply call them the four zoa. They are living creatures as they are described here, but John also uses the word like, like, like. And so they are beyond our understanding. In their features, they represent aspects of God and why He is worthy of worship, and yet we can't truly ascribe to them as being representations of God, for that would be idolatry because God said, don't make anything in my image. So I will just call them Zoah, which is the plural form of the word that is used in the Greek language, Zoan. We read that they proclaim an unceasing declaration. Day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and is still to come. Take note. The theme of the worship of the Zohar is the character and the nature of God. Those qualities that make Him exclusive, preeminent, transcendent, above anything else that is in existence, uncomparable to anything else that is in existence. They declare three things about the nature and the character of God. He is holy. He is all-powerful. He is eternally existent. You and I sang a definition today of the holiness of God. Perfect in power, in love, and in purity. Holiness is the foundation, the core of God's character. We can define holiness in this way. He is absolute and infinite in truth and righteousness. He is absolute and infinite in truth and righteousness. Sometimes holiness is described as apart from sin. That's one aspect of it. Cannot be affected by sin. That's another aspect of it. But more than that, more than just the absence of sin or being untouched by sin, God is absolute and infinite in truth and righteousness. God will always be true and unchanging. He will always be true and unchanging. He is unaffected and undiminished by any external influence. 
He is always good, always faithful, and always just in his determinations. He can't do wrong, and he won't do wrong. It's not in his nature. For a simple illustration, if you and I are making a bowl of oatmeal and we want to sweeten it, we don't take out our salt. It doesn't have the nature, the quality of sweetness. Now that's a very simplistic illustration. But God will always and only be who He is because He is absolute and infinite in His character and His nature. He won't be affected by anything. He won't be diminished by anything. Again, because He is infinite. Will never expire. Will never be exhausted. He is infinite in truth and righteousness. He is the Almighty, possessing infinite ability and power. He transcends all other influences or effects. He has infinite power to create or to subjugate. And His plans and His purposes cannot be thwarted, but they are established forever. He is the Almighty. He is eternally existent because He transcends all of creation in character, ability, and duration. Because He is infinite in His personhood, wisdom, and understanding, and His existence, He is the Lord God Almighty. He is infinite. He has no beginning and no end. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He knows everything, actual and possible, past, present, and future. He exists simultaneously in the past, the immeasurable past, in the present, and in the future, the immeasurable future. He is eternally existent. He has no beginning and no end. It is for that reason, recognizing His character, that day and night without ceasing, these four creatures declare, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who always will be. John tells us that whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before him and say, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. They exist because you created 
what you pleased. The four living creatures worship God for His surpassing character and nature. The council of 24 worship Him because He is the creator of all things. They recognize His genius in creation. They recognize that He authored everything and brought it into existence with His mighty powerful Word. That everything that He created, He created for a purpose to reflect His glory and to bring Him pleasure. My truck is mine. I can do with it what I want. You can't tell me what to do with my truck. My truck is mine. God's creation is His. He owns it. He created it. It belongs to Him. And He can do with it what He wants. Now, we read in Romans chapter 8 that all of creation is groaning and waiting in expectation for the day of redemption. When God created it, He said, it is good. He liked spending time walking in His creation. He enjoyed bringing the animals to Adam to be named. And then He entrusted His creation to Adam. When Adam sinned, creation fell. Creation is in bondage. Creation longs to be what God made it to be. And as you read through Revelation, a time of judgment will come because of what people have done to the earth, to God's creation. But, oh, the work of Jesus Christ is going to be a full redeeming work. And He will redeem all that God created. You and I will one day hear songs from birds and sounds in nature that we never heard before as nature is released to worship God. You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. And so you and I exist for the pleasure of God. Not to be our own definition of ourselves. Not to fulfill someone else's expectations. You and I exist for the pleasure of God. When we come to chapter 5, we read of a sealed scroll and a searching question. John said, Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. 
And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it. But no one in heaven or on, on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. A scroll with seven seals. If you and I go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Daniel, we find Daniel receiving numerous revelations somewhere in the immediate future, somewhere in the distant future, and somewhere for the last days. Some concern nations that were in existence at that time. Others concern nations that would come into existence in the next few hundred years. Other prophecies concern things that will happen in the day that you and I are living in. When Daniel received those, the elder who was speaking to him said, Daniel, roll up the scroll and seal it. For the time has not come for those things to take place. This is the scroll. It has seven seals on it. As you and I read, each time that one of those seals is broken, there is judgment that takes place upon the earth. But no one is worthy to open the seals. Break the seals and open the scroll. And John said, I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered. But it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings. And among the 24 elders, he had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. Why was John weeping? John would have understood the prophecies of Daniel. And those prophecies deeply and extensively concerned his own people, the Jews. And the promises that God had made to them. There was also an understanding that these things concern the purposes of God. But there was no one who was worthy to unfold the purposes of God. John would have been familiar with all the promises that Isaiah had made, coming to the end of his 66 chapters and declaring that God will create a new heaven and a new earth. 
John would have been looking around him in his day and recognizing the evil of the nations and the lack of the kingdom of God. And so he was distressed that there was no one to open this scroll to bring about the purposes of God and that day when righteousness would reign upon the earth. But the elder said to him, there is someone who can open them. Jesus can open a door that no one can shut. That was his promise to the church at Philadelphia. And this scroll that has been sealed up since the time of Daniel, much of which speaks to the day in which you and I are living, Jesus is worthy. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the heir to David's throne. He has won the victory. He has paid the price. He is the Lamb of God. Hallelujah. And when he took the scroll, John wrote, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they held golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song with these words, You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered, and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. Notice the word worth that appears over and over again. Heaven recognizes and understands something that you and I alternately do not grasp or we don't make much effort to grasp. But the Council of 24 and the Zohar recognize the worth of the Lamb. It is with His blood that He ransomed people for God. Salvation is all about redemption. Redemption is all about buying back. Jesus paid the debt that would buy us back. Like something that has been placed in the pawn shop. And a necessary price needs to be paid to get it back out. You and I belong to the kingdom of darkness before Jesus came and ransomed us. He paid the price to buy us out of the debt of sin. And to change our status from being the objects of God's wrath to being a kingdom of priests. Possessing eternal life so that we can serve His God forever and ever. But it does not stop there. John said, Then I looked again, and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne, and the living beings, and the elders, and they sang in a mighty chorus, 
Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and glory and honor and blessing. While the Council of 24 in the Zohar proclaimed the worth of the Lamb, the angels proclaimed His absolute worth. How so? When you and I were studying the seven churches, we said regarding the number seven, that it's the number of comprehension, totality, complete. Jesus chose those seven churches to give us a complete picture that encompasses every church in all time. I want you to notice how they sing their chorus, and I want you to count. Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. How many? Seven. Seven is the number of perfection. When applied to God, it's infinite perfection. The angels also use a literary tool. They don't put commas. They don't say to receive power, riches, strength, honor, glory, and blessing, but it is power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing one upon another, layer after layer. He is absolutely worthy. The Psalms exhort everything to praise the Lord. John sees that taking place. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and in the sea. They sang, blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. As we have just noted, there's a lot of use of numbers in Revelation. The number four relates to creation. And so everyone that is in the earth sings blessing and honor and glory and power. All of creation giving praise and honor to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb. And the scene ends with the affirmation of heaven's highest creation, the four Zoah and the council of 24. And the four living beings said, Amen. So be it. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped the Lamb. I want us to end by looking at a few things that you and I need to make note of and need to understand. First of all, only Christ can open the door and authorize one's entrance into heaven. During the course of today, 140,000 people in the Muslim world will die without knowing Christ. 
without knowing the only one who can give them entrance to eternal life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. The Apostle Peter declared, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. How much time did you spend in prayer this week? He has opened the way for you. Did you neglect it? Or did you value it and make the most of it? The writer to Hebrews said, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Secondly, only through the Holy Spirit can we know Christ and understand spiritual truth and spiritual realities. Jesus said in John 14 and verse 26, But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, He will teach you everything and remind you of everything I have told you. Did you pray this week for more of the Holy Spirit? Did you pray this week that the Holy Spirit would show you Reveal to you Jesus when you opened your Bible. God has a gift that He wants to give more than anything else. More than giving you anything else. Whether it's health, whether it's a promotion, an answer to prayer in some other area, He wants to give you the Holy Spirit. If you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, Jesus said, how much more your Father in heaven will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. Parents, did you pray this week, seeking God that He would give the Holy Spirit to your children? The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The one without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Some of us can sit here this morning and the Word of God is the richest of foods to us. Other of us are sitting here and we are preoccupied with other things. Maybe bored. Bored with God. We go through our week, maybe we don't open the Word of God. Because there's other things that we need to do, other things that are priorities. 
When that happens, the things of God are foolishness to us. They aren't valuable to us. And tragically, many Christians are spiritually shallow in worship, understanding, and expression. The Apostle Paul continued to write to the Corinthians and said, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as a people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, because you were not ready for it yet. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are worldly. The Apostle Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus. Father, I pray that you will give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they will know you better. I pray that the eyes of their hearts will be enlightened so that they can comprehend the hope of their calling, the glorious riches of Christ as their inheritance and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Those things cannot be understood without the spirit of God. And if we don't understand them, we'll run our lives in the wrong direction and pursue the wrong things. Only the one on the throne and the Lamb possess true and eternal worth and have the right to define what is worthwhile. There are many things that you and I find worthwhile, worth spending our money on, worth spending our time on, worth spending our lives on. But worth is defined by the Creator, not by the creation. And all of us will stand before the Lord one day, and He will evaluate everything that we have done by His standard. And he will determine whether it was worthwhile, worth our time, worth our money, worth our lives. And we will be rewarded accordingly. Make sure that you are expending your life on what he considers to be worthwhile. Only in Christ do we have any eternal value or worth? Only in Christ do we have any eternal value and worth. It is the purchasing power of the Lamb that pays the debt of our sin and credits His righteousness and worth to us so that in God's evaluation, we are no longer worthless. Sin makes you worthless. Sin devalues you. Only in Christ do you gain greater worth. You will never be more worthwhile in God's sight because you are better educated. You have a better job. You make more money you will only be worthwhile. You will only have worth as you are in Christ.
to you, is God worth knowing? Your worth response or worship, because our English word worship comes from the compound of worth-ship. Your worth response to God is limited to your understanding of his worth. How are you increasing your understanding of God so that you might worship him appropriately as the Zoah? You can only increase your understanding of God as you spend time in the Word of God and as the Holy Spirit reveals the character and the nature and the worth of God to you. Remember that the Apostle Paul had come to understand how worthwhile Christ was. He said, I count every cultural, educational, ethnic advantage that I ever had as garbage so that I can pursue knowing Christ and becoming like Him. What did you do this week to know Him better so that you could worship Him better when you came to the house of the Lord? When we are unengaged or minimally engaged in worship, we dismiss or disregard the heaven-recognized worth of Christ. You see, worship is a claiming. It is recognizing, honoring the worth of Jesus Christ. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Why do we come together to worship the Lord? Because He is worthy. We recognize His worth. What do you do during the week to spend time in worship of Him because you recognize His worth? Listen, when you and I are not engaged in worship, whether it's here or whether it's as we go through the week, we are dismissing and we are disregarding the heaven-recognized value of Christ. And finally... Jesus invites us to enter into Him, to connect deeply and abide in Him and experience His surpassing worth. Here I am. I'm standing at your door, knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. When you and I get to heaven, we will find out that everything that others held dear in life 
and everything that we held dear in life is worthless except for Jesus Christ. May you and I understand his worth and begin to live our lives in relationship with him and for his purpose in a way that says, I understand his worth. I worship him with everything I am. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have opened a new and living way. We pass through the curtain that is your body, the gate that is you, the door that is you. And somehow we can't explain it, but your word assures us that right now, even as we sit here in Baltimore, spiritually, we are in your presence and before your throne. Oh God, forgive us if we do not make the most of every opportunity to come before you. If we are occupied with other things when there is an opportunity to join others in worship and prayer. And we pray today that you would do a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and free us from ourselves, free us from our delusions, free us from our, our understanding that causes us to value things that are worthless in your sight. Things that you never created and things that bring you no pleasure. But things that have latched on to our hearts, our desires, our attention, our time. We pray that we would see Jesus. That you would open our eyes that you would reveal to us his surpassing worth. We pray that we will understand his worth and worship him with all of our hearts, with all of our lives. Holy Spirit, do this work within us because left on our own, we have no understanding. We need you to open our eyes and reveal to us the glorious worth of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. amen.